0: Well, guys, it's great to be with you. And thank you for the privilege of being able to share with you Um, when Tom reached out and said, you know, would I be open to talking about ministry through and after trauma uh, from the point of applying learnings from the chaplaincy? regarding perspectives of PTSD and getting through the coronavirus, I said, I better write this down. (laughs) And and, and so I did. And I'm very thankful for this privilege to be able to do this. Um, Like all of you, I have an immigrant story as well. And so to be able to talk to this task force is uh, just really a privilege, and I'm so glad to be part of a district that has this focus. And uh, Tom, I'm very thankful for your leadership within our district and your example across our synod. Um, <clears throat> my, um, my, just talk about my two patriarchs in my family, my two grandfathers. My mom's dad immigrated here from Ireland. My, my grandfather, uh, on my mom's side, uh, immigrated here from Ireland. And in 1924, he was 22 years old. And so when we lived out in New Jersey for eight years, one of the cool things that we got to do was to go out to Ellis Island and to see uh, his name in the book. And uh, I took a picture with my mom uh, and the balcony above the common entrance. There's two entrances into Ellis Island if you've never been there, one for common steerage people and then one for the upper class and we were definitely in the common steerage. And uh, so I've got a picture of my mom and I up on the balcony overlooking the entrance for the common steerage people where her dad would have come through Ellis Island. And, um, and so that was interesting. And he started out very humbly. Um, he, his first job was on a banana boat and he went down to South America and got loads of bananas and brought them back to New York City. He ended up becoming an electrical engineer and helping to write the uh, electrical plans for the subways in New York City. And, um, and so that's on my mom's side. On my, on my dad's side, uh, John Buckman came to America in 1880s and he also had had nothing uh financially uh he worked in Chicago for 10 years and then they went up to North Dakota and they had a quarter section of land and had a very very humble beginning they didn't even have a house at first they literally dug a hole in the side of a hill and I've seen where that is um they uh after about a year they were able to um build a house and one of the first things that they did was they gathered the other German speaking people together and they started having worship in their house and uh, then they all got together, and bought a plot of land in town, and then they built St. Peter's Evangelical Lutheran Church of the Unaltered Augsburg Confession. And uh, they gathered a worshiping congregation, and then they reached out to the seminary and to the synod and said, we've got a church, we've got a building, can we have a pastor? And they said, sure. So the pastor took the train to North Dakota, and he got off the train, and the land was there, the building was there, uh, people were there, and, and that church is still in existence. My grandmother... Uh, played the church organ for 60 years uh, there. So, um, you know, we all have our immigrant story and that's kind of part of mine. When I was thinking about the uh, topic for today, one of the first scripture passages that came to my mind was Hebrews chapter 12, one to three. And i like to Read it for us, uh, Hebrews 12one to three says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin, which clings so closely, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorned the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And that's just one of my uh, favorite passages anyhow. And I think it really applies to our topic today, you know, as we think about um, ministering through and after trauma, and um, you know, coming through this coronavirus, and so I had five thoughts I wanted to share with you today, um, and they all start with the letter C. And uh, the first one is confess. I think um, I think it's helpful when we think about ministering through and after the coronavirus. Um, the challenges that we have I think it's helpful to begin with confessing uh, confessing my contribution to my problems today uh, that as you know we look at the challenges that we have in our ministry situations we we all have challenges in our ministry situations um, but all of our problems are not the result of this pandemic. Or even the result of other people. Um, you know, I have to confess, you know, I have sinned and I've contributed to the problems that I'm in. Um, and also admit that it is tempting to blame uh, even God for the problems that we find ourselves in, you know, much like our forefather Adam did, um, you know, he really is blaming God more than he's blaming Eve um, for the situation that he's 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 found himself in. So, the first thing is to begin with uh, confession. And then the second thing, um, I apologize. Um, the second thing, We have a uh, air conditioning technician who is scheduled to be over here and he's here now downstairs and my wife's taking care of it. The second thing is, um, so the first thing is confess and then the second thing is to consider, consider the reality of distrust within the ethnic immigrant community. So for example, with the uh, coronavirus pandemic, the National Guard was tasked, one of our taskings was to vaccinate underserved communities. And so I'm a chaplain uh, in the Illinois Air National Guard and I'm on call for our National Guard members who are in the greater Chicago area. And our National Guard members um, in the greater Chicago area have vaccinated over 400,000 people. Um, And uh, one of our primary taskings was serving underserved was serving underserved communities. And in our uh, in these communities, there's a great distrust of the government. And, you know, I think one of the things if we're going to do ministry among ethnic immigrant people in underserved communities, we have to consider the reality of the level of distrust that there is. One of the things that we found within the National Guard is that fortunately, we have National Guard members who come from these very communities. So uh, we have National Guard members who grew up in uh, going to these high schools, going to these uh, doctors, uh, going to these churches within these communities. And so there's those connections uh, there in place. And that has been very helpful for us. Um, I think also it's important to consider the reality of distrust um, in this way. Uh, this uh, the distrust of big government is something that cuts across demographics. You know, whether you're a Second Amendment person or a second generation American, um, the polling shows that people are equally skeptical of politics. And I think for those of us who are serving uh, in underserved communities, trying to help people in underserved communities, when we're trying to reach out to a bigger audience to try and broaden our base of support, this is something that we can leverage. Because um, if we're going to be honest about it, that's one of the challenges of Doing ministry in underserved communities is helping people who live outside of those communities to see that they have something in common with the people we're trying to reach. So that's the second thing. Then the third thing is, I think it's important to celebrate the victories that God brings. Um, on, a, on a personal level, um, I, by God's grace, I'm building an app for prayer. And uh, recently I had uh, my website developer uh, donate uh, $5,700 uh, of his billing uh, to the work that we're doing with uh, the the uh, prayer app, and so, uh, you know, just very thankful for that. Within um, our congregation, there are two people, uh, and if you have been to our church, you you, you may know one or both of them. Uh, one, his first name is Rich, and the other, her first name is Sonia. And Rich is uh, Rich, and Sonia are very different on, on on different levels. They're they're probably different politically. Um, they're probably different in their uh, perspectives of of the uh, virus. Um, but they both go to uh, the same church and um, they're very similar in that they were both very apprehensive about getting their vaccines. And so myself and another person on our staff, uh, out of concern for both of them, talked with them and encouraged them both to to be vaccinated and uh, and that it's okay to do that and you're not compromising your faith and you know, we're not worshiping the Antichrist. Uh, you know, there's a lot of crazy theories out there. And uh, and both have, have gotten their vaccines. And so we're all very happy about that. I think it's important to celebrate the victories that God brings. Uh, I think um, praising God is a very important part of getting through challenging circumstances in a healthy way. The fourth thing that I would submit to you that I think is important and uh, ministering through, getting through a challenge like the coronavirus is to consecrate. Consecrate yourself to the task at hand. And by that, I mean, you know, to rededicate yourself. Um, one of the things I think is very important Important is what's called the continuous improvement process, and that's basically a never-ending loop of looking at um, the uh, project uh, that you're working on, for example, and identifying um, areas that can be improved, figuring out the plan to improve it implementing the plan to improve it, uh, monitoring the results, and then repeating. And this, this cycle never ends. And that's, that's an important part of, um, of getting through a challenge like this because um, planning your work and then working your plan is a very healthy mantra. And it helps you stay out in front of, instead of getting run over by the circumstances in which you find yourself. So that's one aspect of dedication. Another um, aspect of dedication that I have found uh, to be very helpful is the uh, Lean Six Sigma uh, process. And that's that's from the business world. And um, Any of your people in your ministries that uh, have a business background will be familiar with Lean Six Sigma. For all of us who went to seminary and got a theology degree, you know our eyes are glazing over probably right about now. And we're probably thinking that sounds like a heresy. Um, It's not. Uh, It's something that's been in American business practice for about 40 years. Uh, Jack Welch, when he was CEO of General Electric, brought it over from Japan and IBM quickly followed him. And now it's used just about Everywhere. And Lean Six Sigma, I had the privilege, the blessing of uh, being the first Air Force chaplain to get certified in Lean Six Sigma. Um, Lean Six Sigma is basically, if you're going to boil it down, it's a way to um, improve processes. And life is nothing but a process on on a certain level. And ministry is full of processes. And um, I would encourage you just for starters, just just go to YouTube and maybe some of you are doing it right now and search uh, Lean Six Sigma. You can watch some videos, you can get some ideas from it. And then I would encourage you to... um, I would encourage you to uh, consider, you know, asking for a grant um, for funding to to get the training to do it. Um, it it's uh, tremendously helpful in improving how things are done within your ministry. And it helps. One of the reasons why it's so healthy is it removes the discussion from the realm of emotions and uh And uh, personal opinion. And all too often in ministry, that's not, that's where it goes. And that's not helpful when you're trying to come out of a pandemic. And then the third thing I would just encourage us to do uh, in terms of consecrating ourselves is to really intentionally develop community partnerships. So one of the things that we're doing at Faith Lutheran Church is um, I have been reaching out via Zoom meetings uh, to the mayor and superintendent of the public school system for North Chicago. Um, as well as uh, Waukegan, but really focusing mostly with North Chicago. And so one of the things that Faith Lutheran Church is going to do this year, is we're going to put on a golf tournament and the proceeds of this golf tournament are going to go to the superintendent's scholarship fund for um, high school graduates. And it's something that he had put in place a long time ago. And basically his vision is that um, kids who graduate from the North Chicago public school system, their um, they're costs that are not covered already uh to go to college of lake county community college uh that the scholarship will will pay the difference and so the money that we raise from this is going to go into that fund and by god's grace this will become uh, what we call a signature ministry of our congregation and it will be a tremendous way for us to um, build a partnership with a primary institution within our community, namely the public school system, but also then businesses and civic leaders within our community who also are are concerned for our public school kids. So I think part of dedicating yourself um, to the task at hand is to um, uh, build community partnerships. And then the last thing I wanna talk about, the final C word is challenge, to challenge um, in love, uh, those who are constructing false self narratives. And uh, what in the world do I mean by that? So, in within the military, um, you know, there um, something a lot of people don't realize is that many soldiers are actually incentivized by the system to construct false self narratives. What do I mean by that? <clears throat> well, if a soldier proves proves that they have PTSD, they get monthly payments, and they also get property tax benefits. So guess what has happened with the percentage of reported PTSD cases among veterans? Do you think it's gone up or gone down? But it doesn't stop there because then once a soldier is diagnosed as having PTSD or proves that he has PTSD, then the system gets the vets on pharmaceutical products uh, of which there's a lot that will be prescribed. On top of that, and all the host of problems that that will bring is that then family members of the veterans um, see their Loved one, as having problems, and um, and so that then has a whole lot of challenges. On top of that, if a service member takes the money for PTSD, then their conscience—what I have observed as a chapel as a chaplain—is that then their conscience will force them to create a cover story to uh, to address what they're doing. And then what I have observed is that then you have um, service members who are self-conflicted and oftentimes worse off than before. And then even within that, you now have documented cases of what are called second generation PTSD and third generation PTSD where then that not only the service member is claiming that they have PTSD, but then their spouse claims that they got it from the service member and the kid came, claims they got it from both of the parents. Um, and, so, and so what may have been very well intended and is needed at times um, also has a lot of second and third order effects that have not been thought through. And so um, I think one of the things that we want to do as caregivers, as church workers, is try to, in love, you know, uh, challenge false self narratives and help people to, um, to, to remain focused on the hope that is theirs within Christ, and also to walk with people um, in the challenges that they find themselves in. And so I'm going to get off of my notes here. Um, so those are some of the thoughts that I have. And I, um, I'm supposed to leave some time open for questions here. So there are, there are certainly are other things that I could share. And I hope, Tom, that this addresses some of the things that, that you're wanting to, to talk about with um, uh, getting through the coronavirus and ministering through and after trauma so